The Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken throughout the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And as there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks as night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you could describe Christmas with just one word, what would that word be? Some of you would say magical, others stressful, some turkey, others tamales, ham, right? Then you start fighting about the proper Christmas dinner. Some of you are thinking about gifts, others think about lights, the darkness, the the juxtaposition, the beauty, the majesty. And some of you aren't that spiritual, right? When you think of Christmas, you think about red cup season at Starbucks, like the start of the Christmas season. Some of you think about Black Friday, Black Friday, and this is the image that comes to mind when you think about Christmas. I had to keep going back this morning and, and asking, is this an actual photo or was this from a movie? Is this like Black Friday get it or something? But I think this really happened. Some of you, the Christmas season begins when you start getting Christmas cards and you're waiting for that special card you've been waiting for the whole year long, the Kardashian Christmas card to appear on Twitter, and then it does and Christmas is here. Others of you are nervous because your Christmas card looks more like this than the Kardashian card, but that's okay. That's okay. We're not all beautiful people. These, are beautiful. These people are more beautiful than me. I get it. Some of you love Christmas because you get to get under a blanket and open up Netflix and see the thousands of new holiday movies you get to watch. The Grinch, The Night Before Christmas with a K, not to be, not to be mixed up with The Night Before Christmas without a K, Christmas Prince, all the kids' ones. Some of you are too spiritual to go on Netflix, though. I get it. Because for you, there's only one Christmas show worth watching, the one about the real baby that you're here to watch, and that's Baby Yoda on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I know he's not real Yoda. I just call him Baby Yoda. That's not his real hat from the show either, so he took a little bit of liberty today. <sighs> Christmas. As we've been reading the Christmas story these last few weeks, there has been one word that has struck me over and over and over again. Even as I studied for this series, I've told you a couple of times that there was this one theme that just kept coming out. Whether I looked at Joseph's life or Mary's life or Zechariah or Elizabeth or even here in Luke, Jesus' entry into the world is marked by one single word. And for me, it's the word humble. The Christmas story for me as I read the text of Scripture is a story about humble people being used by an awesome God to do mighty things. 
We see Mary, this humble young girl who's been approached by this angel saying, you are going to give birth to the Savior of mankind. And she's, she's, she says, me? She says, yes. And Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be done, let it be done to me as you have said. Joseph, likewise, gets this word that his girlfriend is pregnant with God's baby, and he's supposed to take her in and live a life together and face the scorn from the community and the reputational hits and all that stuff. And Joseph says, of course. He says, yes, and he's in. Elizabeth, who's been struggling with fertility issues for her whole life, and now she's in her old age, and she feels like that baby ship has sailed. She gets this great word from the Lord, and then Mary comes to her too, and she's pregnant as well, and Elizabeth, in her humility, cries out, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband, has been battling doubt and sadness. His prayers for a child have never been answered, and yet when God encounters him, He's humbly serving God in the temple, faithfully doing the work of ministry, even though God has never answered the prayers that him and his wife have been praying. These are humble people who are humbled by an unbelievable message. But no character in the Christmas story is is seen as as humble as the one we read about here in Luke chapter 2, the baby in the manger, Jesus and sometimes we miss about the humble nature of Jesus' approach into the world in this Bethlehem town. So in chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, we get a glimpse of the, just how much Jesus had to come down to our level to enter into our world. Luke tells us that while Joseph and Mary were there in Bethlehem, the time came to give birth to a son, or for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Mary wrapped Jesus in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The God of the universe had one shot to enter into our world. And he could have come to Rome. He could have come to Jerusalem. He could have been born on the palace steps or in the nicest hotel. But instead, when God steps foot on our earth, he does it in a humble way. He doesn't even go to Jerusalem. He goes to Bethlehem on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Not even with family, not even in a hotel, but in the stable on the outside of a hotel where shepherds are raising these sheep and they use some of these cloths from the sheep to wrap up Jesus and put them in the sheep's feeding pen, the most humble entry for an almighty God. The question I want to ask as we close this Christmas series this morning is a question of why? Namely, why did God choose to enter the world through such humble circumstances? And God could have come however he wanted to come, but he chose to come. (laughs) He chose to come (laughs) this way. So as we look at this text, we're going to ask, why? Why did God choose to come this way? I believe that you can learn a lot from a person by watching what they choose to do when they go on vacation and how they choose to live. Right, so some people, they get all fancy. Some people are down to earth, right? My family growing up, we were camping people. Any camping people out there? Oh, wow. The, that's great. Other two services, not a lot of camping people, right? I just chalked it up to camping people or humble people, right? We don't need fancy accommodations. We don't need to stay in the Ritz-Carlton, right? The dirt will be just fine for us. Right, we'll sleep under the stars. We'll sleep in a tent, right? We're humble folks, and that's how we choose to spend our hard-earned money and time on vacation sleeping in the dirt, right? Others of you, 
I look at the camping people and you're kind of judgy, right? Even other camping people. I know there's going to be one of you that comes to me after the service and says, Danny, I heard you talking about the tent you sleep in. Must be nice. I sleep directly in the dirt under the stars on a tarp like God intended. Okay. Okay. And yet I know there's others of you who are like, I'm never sleeping in the dirt. I'm a human being. I will sleep in a bed in a hotel. Right? And you're the ones who are Googling thread count before you uh, book the hotel room. Right? I need to stay in a nice place. Right? This body does not sleep on rough sheets. Right? I need something that's smooth to the touch. That's how I roll. I need to stay in the nicest places because I deserve it. Right? And we'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus didn't need a fancy hotel. Jesus slept in the hay. Don't you hear the song? He slept in a manger. He slept with sheep. He slept in the most humble of circumstances. I don't care how you vacation. right? I don't think Jesus chose to stay in the manger because he couldn't afford the Holiday Inn Express. right? I, I, but I do think it's significant that when Jesus chose to enter into our world, he, he chose the most humble place to stay imaginable. This was the dirt. This was the feeding trough. This was the sheep's place. This was the shepherd's hangout. This was outside of the inn. This was in the alley behind the seedy motel, outside of the suburb, not, that was outside of the metroplex, that was off the beaten path, filled with people, and he chooses the most humble location imaginable to step foot onto our earth. Have you ever had to stay in a place that was way below your level of comfort? It's not comfortable. I think of stories in my life. I think of a few times my wife and I had to go to somebody's wedding that was out of town, far away, right? And we got in an airplane, and we got in a car, and we drove, and we flew hours and hours and hours. We wanted to be with them, and we booked the nicest, I'm doing quotes, nicest hotel in town. And we walk into the nicest hotel in town, and we're like, man, this town's great. The nicest hotel is super cheap, right? And we go in, and it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> I remember one place. It was like the biggest hotel room I've ever seen, so that was cool. But I just imagine in this room, I don't even know if this is true, but I imagine like there's just one ginormous room with a dresser, two beds, and a light bulb hanging from the ceiling. And when we flicked on the lights, like things start to scatter, right? I don't know if they actually started to scatter, but I remember things scattering. Maybe it was my heart that was fluttering. Like, it's been such a long travel. Let's just go to bed. Let's just forget about it. Once the lights are off, the cockroaches will hide, right? I don't know, right? And, so we pull down the sheets, and there's, like, holes in the sheets, and there's weird stains, right? And so we're sleeping on top of the comforter, like, <laughs> praying that we don't die. I know that some of you are actually in those accommodations right now, right? You've flown in to visit someone you love for Christmas, and you put yourself up in some motel, and you open the door. You had that same experience, and you're thinking, why am I here in this gross place when I could be in the comfort of my own bed at home back where I'm from? Some of you are about to get on a plane, and you're about to experience this very thing, right? But you sleep in the CD motel when you have to, don't you? You don't go back home, do you? When you go on the missions trip and you get on the plane, you go to the third world country and they show you where you'll be sleeping and the mosquito nets and all that, right? You, you don't say, I'm out of here. Where's the Holiday Inn, right? You don't do that. You, you humbly walk into the accommodations and you're humbled to think on the missions field that these people, this is the nicest that they have and I'm so privileged in my country to have a comfortable place to sleep. And the reason that you don't go home when you're in a hotel that's not up to your liking when you're visiting your kids out of town is, is you're not there for a luxurious vacation. You're there to see people that you love. 
Right? You're not there on the missions trip because you want to sleep in luxury's lap. You're on the missions trip to serve these people. And so you don't care at the end of the day where you have to sleep. You don't care how uncomfortable it is. You don't care what you have to endure. You're there because you love these people and you're there to serve them. I think it's important for us to think about Jesus Christ entering into the world in these humble, dirty, yucky circumstances and remember that he came for us into that place. He could have gone back to heaven and said, you know what, this place is gross. I don't even know why I came down here, right? But he didn't. Because his accommodations were not on his mind when he planned his trip to earth in the sense of his comfort. We were on his mind when he planned his trip to earth. He came to visit us. He came to save us. He came to seek those of us that he wanted to draw to himself. He was there on a trip to visit us. As I think about Jesus in this Christmas story, I'm struck with this phrase that I've been hesitating to say this last few weeks because I feel like if it's heresy, I should get fired and kicked out of the church. But I don't think it is, so I'm going to say it. I think one of the things that we learn about Jesus as we look at this story is that the God that we worship is a humble God. He's a humble God. I know we normally think about humility as like, well, I'm nothing. I'm just like a slug. I don't, right? And that's not God. He's not nothing. He's amazing, right? But, but another aspect of humility is, is not considering that you deserve anything, but saying, you know what? I'm just here to serve these people. I'm just here to love these people. I'm just here for others. Who cares about me? And everything Jesus did just screamed, who cares about me? I'm here for you. This is one of the things that struck the gospel writers and the New Testament authors more than anything else. Once they realized the majesty and glory of Jesus, they were struck by how humble he was to condescend to this place and come to our earth. The most famous passage is Philippians 2, where Paul talks about Jesus, and he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul was struck with the humble nature of Jesus. Jesus himself talked about his own humility, which I think you're allowed to do if you really are truly humble and say how humble you are. But Jesus, when he talked about people that he wanted to serve, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can put it on the screen because that's all I know. (laughs) I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I'm gentle. I'm humble. Come to me. As we watch Jesus navigate the New Testament, we watch that at every turn, he's humble. He doesn't take glory on himself. He says, no, only the Father deserves glory. When he comes into Jerusalem and they try to crown him the king and they're trying to get him to come in on some war horse or something, he says, no, 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 and he finds a a donkey and he comes on Palm Sunday sitting on a donkey as this humble king. When it's time to share a final meal with his disciples, he doesn't say, you know what, you guys make me a great dinner because this is my last meal. He says, I've prepared the accommodations. Come with me to the upper room. And when they get there, He gets down on his knees and he starts washing their feet in humility like a servant. 
And the disciples are like, stop, you're not our servant, we serve you. And he says, this is what I do, I serve my people. Our God is a humble God. And this Christmas, as we think about who God is as he came to visit us, I think we need to remember that one of the characteristics about our awesome, magnificent, glorious God is that in some amazing, beautiful way, our God has chosen to spend eternity serving his people, serving others, serving the Son, serving the Spirit, serving his people, serving the world he created, that God is jealous for his own glory, but at the same time, he just serves and serves and serves and humbles himself for the sake of those that he loves. You're probably going to get some opportunities in the next few days to humble yourself for the sake of people that you love. Take those opportunities. And nothing is more Christ-like at Christmas than to humble yourself to serve folks who are underprivileged or to humble yourself to serve folks you love in your family or you love in your neighborhood or you love across the street or across the world. Humility is as Christmassy as gingerbread lattes. And this Christmas, let humility be something that marks you. Now, I know you can push back on the whole God is humble thing, right, because we know that there's no worship song that sings our God is a humble God, right? It's our God is an awesome God. Our God is majestic. Our God is glorious. He reigns in splendor and glory. He exists in inapproachable light. No one can even look at the face of God and live. He's jealous for his glory. We know all this is true too. We know that Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he was in the presence of God, he fell to his face and he said, Woe is me because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the glory of God. He saw an image of a God who was huge and mighty and majestic and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory and there were animals praising and it was crazy and glorious and big and huge and terrifying. I know that doesn't sound like humble. But we can't get away from the fact that when God chose to put on human flesh and step into our planet, he came humbly. And the question that I asked before is the question that I ask again, why? Why did God choose to enter the world through such humble circumstances? I think it's important for us to remember as we think of the Christmas story that when Jesus came to visit us, Jesus did not come on vacation. Jesus came on mission. That he was coming not as someone who wanted to go experience the world and have some fun, right, before he went back to heaven. Jesus was coming on a rescue mission to come and seek and save that which was lost, which is us. And as we read the Christmas story, everything about this story points back to the fact that Jesus was coming into that manger very intentionally and specifically as part of the mission that he stepped into as he visited planet Earth. They're in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not Nazareth, because the Savior comes from Bethlehem. If you didn't know that, write that down. Bethlehem, right? That's why he was there. He didn't stay with his family. He didn't stay in the inn. He stayed in the stable. Why? Why did he stay where the sheep was staying? Tradition tells us that the reason that Jesus was staying among all the animals in the stable was because he was trying to identify with the animals in the stable, You know, Old Testament law and Jewish tradition had it so that shepherds, which was usually a pretty dirty profession, were not allowed to exist that close to the city limits. And so a question has always arisen, why were the shepherds allowed to be that close to Bethlehem and Jerusalem, the holy city? 
And scholars have said, well, the reason is because those shepherds were special shepherds who were commissioned to raise all of the lambs and sheep that would be used in the temple for the sacrificial system. And so they existed just down the road from Jerusalem, just on the outskirts of Bethlehem, and they raised these sheep that had to be perfect without wrinkle, without blemish, or any other defect. And when the sheep were ready to give birth in that town of Bethlehem, they'd bring them into this stable. They would catch these baby sheep as they were born. They would swaddle them in cloths, and they'd place them in a manger. So they didn't kick around and break their legs. They didn't get any imperfections on them. They'd hold them in this manger until a priest could come and inspect this child, inspect this lamb. As the priest inspected the lamb, the priest would see that this lamb was a suitable sacrifice, and then they would raise up this lamb for its fulfillment of its destiny, which would be to die for the sake of forgiving the sins of the people. And now we see Mary and Joseph walking into the same town of Bethlehem and God leading them from home to inn to stable. And now Mary gives birth among these lambs that would be raised to be sacrificed. She swaddles her baby in the same swaddling cloths as the sacrificial lambs. She places Jesus in the same manger as the lambs. We read next, a priest comes and blesses Jesus just as he would the lambs. And we're reminded in every aspect of the story that Jesus was stepping foot on this earth to start a mission that would result in him dying for the forgiveness of the sins of all the people who would believe in him. From day one, that's where he came. He was coming to our earth not as a vacationer. He was coming on mission to save our souls. So as you think of the Christmas story, right, the moral of the Christmas story is not God loves you so much he would stay in a Motel 6 for you. That's not the moral of the Christmas story. The moral of the Christmas story is that God loves you so much that he would step into a, a dirty, sinful, broken world in the most humble of circumstances and walk through sin and suffering and shame and ultimately give up his own life for the salvation of your soul. That's the God that we serve. A God who is so humble that he would condescend, he would leave his heavenly throne put on human flesh, walk into the world that he created and be unrecognized by the people he created and then be turned over to death and eventually raised from death to give out life to any who believe. If that story doesn't humble you, I don't know what will. If that story doesn't rack your thinking as you're considering what Christmas means, I think you need to slow down and ask, what is the significance of the season? It's a beautiful season that we remember a God who is so beautifully humble that he serves his people. And I think that this concept can flow into every aspect of how we worship this Christmas. It flows into the way that we enjoy our gingerbread lattes and our gifts from our friends. It flows into the way that we approach the mall when things are crazy. It flows into the way that we share life together with our family or friends over Christmas dinner. It flows into the way that we are humbled by the grace that's given to us by people who love us. It flows through the way that we humble ourselves and give to those who are disenfranchised. Everything about our lives this month should be rooted in the humility we see in Jesus coming to our planet. And everyone that God uses in the Christmas story demonstrates that same level of humility. I'm so glad that Mary was humble and she didn't say, no thank you, to the angel. I'm glad that Joseph took Mary and his wife and didn't care about his reputation. I'm glad that Zechariah and Elizabeth were willing to be faithful to God even when he never answered their prayers. And they humbly lived until God blessed them with something amazing and unbelievable. God uses humble people at Christmas because the Christmas story is a humble story. So the next couple days, have a merry Christmas, have a blessed Christmas, have a beautiful Christmas, have a gorgeous Christmas, have a gift-filled Christmas, 
But more than anything, have a humble Christmas and make room for Jesus in the midst of your celebration. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in worship.